Real Kipper and Born on this January 3rd, 2022. Jam-packed. Craig Simpson's going to join us, analyst for Hockey Night in Canada. We'll talk about the Leafs crushing the Senators on Saturday night. And did we all get that North Division vibe Saturday night? Empty building sucks. Ooh. It's horrible. Oh, it's no fun. JB on board. No semi today as show makes a return to the real Kipper and Bourne show. Andrew Holland, as in the country, technical director. Darren Pang will be along later on in the show. We'll talk about the atmosphere at the Winter Classic. John Morosi, yes. NHL analyst. We know the baseball stuff. We're well-versed. Maybe we'll get some Jays scoops, JB, <laughs> out of John. Not enough Leafs talk right now. We're going to have to make do. No, he's an excellent broadcaster all the way around. He is the Swiss Army knife here on the fan. Can do it all. So we'll get his thoughts on the World Juniors, and is there a chance that we'll see this tournament possibly in June well, I'll be on the golf course. You guys will be watching it. <laughs> yeah, text me about it. So, bear of bad news here in Ontario. Are we allowed to breathe, JB? Or is that allowed? <laughs> Not for two weeks, according to the latest, Kipper. You're allowed breaths again in and, two weeks. And, and your thoughts about the the school shutting down for, what, uh. two weeks? You Two want weeks? my thoughts? Oh, wait. Does little Buddha make a cyanide flavor, Kipper? Is there something? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, man, I don't know. I, uh, I, as long as we get some Leafs hockey between there, there'll be breaths of sanity. But, man, it's going to be terrible. Like, you know, I tried doing virtual school with my five-year-old last year, a four-year-old last year. It's it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. He hasn't seen his friends in weeks. It's It's a nightmare. It sucks. Today during practice, Austin Matthews, uh, Dean Schnauth, uh, both tested positive on a rapid test. So they'll go and do the PCR. Uh, but it looks like we won't get Matthews versus McDavid Wednesday night, JB. This is this is a good thing. Let let them all, let them, all let, let them get it over with. There's no avoiding it. So I mean, we, we do I, know once you're tested. Uh, you will not be tested again for the next 90 days, which guarantees at least three months with a full lineup because it just seems like everybody's had it anyways. Yeah. Maybe it's this is the best time for Austin to get it. Man, I, I couldn't agree more. My wife and I are like, well, listen, if the kid's not going to be in school for two weeks, let's go out and make out with some strangers. Let's go, uh, let's go grab <laughs> this thing while we can here, check it off so we're, we get it done now. Because if my kid's home for two weeks and then I get it and he has to stay home or he gets it and has to stay home, then I'm really going to be in a pickle. But you're right. It's not a terrible thing for the Leafs uh, for him to just, just have it now, get it over with, and don't have to deal with it come April. What did we get out of Saturday night But besides me and you can't do a live stream to save ourselves? <laughs> well, what else did we get out of that? So uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, Justin and I were scheduled to uh, to take over live stream. Uh, usually Steve Dangles there on Saturday nights. Uh, New Year's uh, Day was sold on us to, to give it a bit of a different look, one with a little bit more of the finer details of the game. 
and we couldn't we couldn't get her going. I think I I, I think somewhere deep in the the basement of Rogers, the hamster fell off the wheel. <laughs> Listen, I, we're not on the hook for that one. Let's make that clear. We, uh, you know, we had it all set up and tested and ready to go, and we're told that there were some some deeper issues behind the scenes. But we will get her get her going. I, you know, Steve Dangle stepped in and did the stream as he usually does. But uh, hope he was you he, and I get a he was yet. real busy. Eh? Apparently on that <laughs> off day of his. Hey, the just second standard. her feet dropped, he just showed up. Bam. I, I think he pulled the plug on us. I, I don't think he ever wanted us to do it to begin with. Listen, I can't say it didn't cross my mind that he talked to the people who normally coordinate that thing and, uh, you know, worked his magic to get himself back on there. But Total Lex Luthor move by Steve Dangle, I think. By the way, what a great guy. He did promote us and support us and do everything he could, so we're just teasing him. He is He's a hell of a guy. Yeah, okay, I'll go with that a little bit. <laughs> Did, besides, besides you trying to hold rabbit ears on the top of your roof, uh, did you what? What did we get out of Saturday yeah. night? Except that the Ottawa Senators found a way to embarrass themselves. That you know what that that's probably the starting point. You know, the uh, giving up a shorthanded goal is a major momentum swing. You give up two shorties and one power play to a team you're already not as talented as, and uh, that's all she wrote for them. Um, you know, they, they didn't come out and give it their best effort. It certainly didn't look organized. They didn't get the goaltending. The, the things that make Ottawa, Ottawa, uh, they didn't give it the chance to, to do. Do you give the Leafs credit for that, or was it just purely an Ottawa looking that bad? No, show? no. You have to. You can't just write that off. That's, that's just a better team uh, acting like professionals. Yeah. And there's something to be said for that. They They went out there. They buried them, and that's what good teams do. They should have that that killer instinct to put teams away and yeah. every, everybody did their jobs except, you know, the level of competitiveness was not there uh, out of Ottawa and that's on them. But as far as the Leafs are concerned, you know, how do you not feel good after uh, being off for such a long period of time? And then on top of that, uh, you, you see the likes of uh, Mikheyev step up. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that was a he was the most noticeable guy I thought even before he scored the goal, you know, beating guys wide and driving. You know, that's that's what's going to make him effective for the Leafs is that he doesn't have to score those goals. It's great when he does, but actually getting the puck to the net, pushing the D back with his speed and creating room above the way he did, uh super effective. I, I just thought the team skated really well in general, but Mikheyev looking like that, is he a guy you could see as a top 6 guy when he plays that well? I again, I, I think when you're when you're dealing with guys with uh, potential and, and there's reasons to sit there and say, yeah, you know, there, there should be a strong case that this guy could be a top six, but even a guy like, um, you know, Jack Campbell will always have it in his face where you've never done it before. You have no track record. It's like, and, and that will always be there, you know, with McKayev and they will have to roll the dice on this guy. Uh, when you take a look at that left side and where they are and what are your options, it's it's a Hail Mary that that you have to put him there and you got to give him a chance to, to earn, you know, a legit top six look. Yeah. 
I just feel like it's one of those things where you get excited about him playing well. He's been begging for more opportunity. I haven't seen anything in his game that makes me think that he's suddenly going to become a goal scorer, become a player who is like, I see a guy who is useful to him, but one of the best attributes guys can have in the NHL to me is understanding their role and their worth to the team. Like is McKay going to be happy when everyone's healthy and he settles into has to be a third line guy. I sure hope so. Cause I think that's where he fits best maybe on the second power play unit here and there, but I hope he doesn't get delusions of being an offensive player for this team. They have enough guys who do that. They need him to be a four checker who goes out there and, you know, and works and disrupts pucks, does those sort of things. So what you're saying to me now is that you've got Kerfoot as a lock on the left side on a top six. That's, that's what I'm getting. You, Bunting and Kerfoot are your top six. <laughs> well, you know, I think Kerfoot is. I think Kerfoot is a second-line left winger. That, to me, you know, I, yeah, he, he's back playing center right now with Matthews out. But the center experiment didn't work. And you've said you don't like his size in the middle. You like him on the left side. His last 82 games, his pace has been a 50-point forward. That's a good second-line left winger. I can live with that. It, it comes down to, do you believe Michael Bunting can produce at the level he's been producing at on the left side? I, I'm less sold just because he's played 40 games in the NHL. Nick Ritchie, a healthy scratch. Some talk about uh, salary cap uh, juggling, JB, and and what this all means, especially with uh, the fact that Muzzin was unavailable. I'm not, I'm not here to begin to explain to you on a day to day what what this means for their salary cap, but there is some suggestion out there that uh, they may have to. Uh, send somebody down or even wave Nick Ritchie. Uh, Yeah. What do you, what are you hearing on that front? Well, it's, you know, my understanding, Nick, is that they're just, but with everyone healthy for the first time, they're just jammed up against the salary cap. And once Timothy Lilligren and uh, Jake Muzzin come back, they're over the salary cap, which means someone's got to go. One of the options is to wave Timothy Lilligren. You can send him down to the American league, which, Hardly seems fair to a guy who's been a big part of it, but I mean, this is just real life here. It's not about you know opportunity and patting a guy on the back. He's they, they can't make the salary cap work. So Lilligren could go down. Nick Ritchie getting waived is the other thing. You know, I guess my question to you is: Would Nick Ritchie have more value than a complete wash? Like, would someone claim this guy if they wanted to trade him? Could they get a seventh rounder for him? Where do you think Richie is perceived around the NHL, or how do you think he's perceived? Yeah, that's a that's an excellent question right now. And if you're willing to lose him for nothing, uh, I I will say this: that that second year is scary for teams to pick up on Nick Richie. If he had only the one year deal at two point five, I think there's a lot of teams that would be willing to yet again take a chance on him. Oh yeah, but that second year is just a nightmare for teams. If in fact the HRR goes south real quick in the next month, and read the tea leaves here, mm-hmm. restaurants shutting down for 14 days in Ontario, the rest of the country um, in a similar spot, no HRR significant coming out of Canada. That salary cap's going nowhere, zero flat. Yeah. 
You don't so think, not even a million up, eh? Not even a million up. Like this yeah. is going to get ugly really fast in the next month. And I don't know if someone's going to claim Nick Ritchie or trade for him or I'll, I'll, I'll eat the second year at two and a half. You want to throw a second round pick in Toronto? That's the yeah. conversation I'm having for oh. Nick Ritchie. Yeah, they can't justify that, but they're at a point where they have to. Like, it's the salary that doesn't fit in the puzzle right now, unfortunately. And here's the thing. Nick Ritchie's an NHL player, right? Like, you know, listen to what Sheldon Keefe had to say about him last game, and he he goes, I like Nick Ritchie. You know, I like how Ritchie has played for us. He's been an important contributor. It's not about can he play. It's that these other guys can play better and cheaper for us. So, you know, there are other teams who could get better by adding Nick Ritchie. They could improve, but you're right. The second year at the 2-5 is, is a little bit scary. Yeah. You know, yeah. you don't want to be retaining salary, obviously. Yeah, here's here's what's going to happen, JB, okay? They will, they will do their best to juggle here like, like you're going to the circus, man, between here and the Marlies. You're going to see guys up and down. You're going to see, you're going to see guys uh, crossing the – the Gardner Expressway, like Frogger, you know, <laughs> yeah, blink, like day to blink, day, blink. getting under the cap, and and back and forth, back and forth. They will work everybody in, and that that's what's going to happen. And uh, again, so I'm he's not going anywhere. Much smarter than me, but uh, well, it's not that he's not going anywhere. I'm, I, you're going to do whatever you can do. You're going to call clubs. You're going to see what your best options are. But there's. There's going to be the magic of of the capologists, you know, not only in Toronto but around the league here. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some serious juggling going on as we speak now, trying to fit numbers in on uh, on a what we know is almost certainty now uh, financial nightmare yeah. when it comes to where this HRR thing's going. You know, I think a lot of it this season, Kipper, is the expectation that you're almost never healthy in the regular season. Like the you know 18-day layoff the Leafs had, that's not common at any point in any regular season schedule. And you're usually without guys. You pick up a, a ding here and there. And without that you know dinged-up player or two, you're right. I, I could see Nick Ritchie getting waived, unclaimed. He's in the minors. He comes up. You know, who's making league minimum Alex Biega plays a bunch of games you know whoever it may be for the Leafs to play to dress their lineup under the the salary cap each night yeah and that's why we'll probably see Lilligren or should we yeah. call him L- Lilypad cuz he's going to be jumping now <laughs> that's really good the, he's, the he's Lilypad the Frogger yeah the Lilypad will be going from uh, <laughs> building to building forth. here Saving some money. So we're going to grab Craig Simpson uh, momentarily here, analyst for Hockey Night Canada, did the game Saturday night. Just your thoughts before we get to to Craig. And, and I had mentioned that the Leafs did what they needed to do mm-hmm. in the most professional way. But that game Saturday night does zero for them to start building up a, a, a tough mentality or, or you know, just a, a, a workman-like playoff feel like that it was a glorified shinny game for them that well, didn't particularly that, that's nothing that, that that game does zero to help the toronto maple leafs uh prepare uh and let's bring in craig simpson now he called the game we wanted a more competitive game for for many reasons craig and unfortunately we didn't get it did we 
Oh, sorry. No, you got me. Sorry. Oh, there I had, he is. Uh, I a, yeah, I was talking and you're not hearing me. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, uh, no yeah, problem. You know what? There was always the threat of that game being, you know, a bit of a sloppy one. I, I'm sure both coaches were worried about that. But, you know, it's one of those games that, if nothing else, it got the guys sort of back into the rhythm, got them some confidence, got their legs going. I think it was a wise choice to, you know, even though the financial ramifications of not having a crowd and uh, the opportunity of maybe having it later in the year, I do think that uh, everybody around the team felt it was important for them to get back. And, you know, that's the kind of game that got them right back into the rhythm. How do you feel about the the Leafs' need for a crowd? Like, I I just mean that from a... A mental standpoint. They, t- they Sheldon Keith has talked about this team becoming mentally tough and finding their game. You know, finding themselves even when things are emotional. Like that to me feels like it doesn't make them any better. It's like playing in the bubble. We know that they're a better team than less talented teams. How necessary is it going to playoffs that they get to play in front of crowds with some consistency? Well, I, I just think from a level of play. You know, when if you look around the league and you say everybody then other than the, say, seven Canadian teams, if they all have to deal with it, uh, are playing in vibrant arenas. Uh, You have that home ice advantage. You get the energy from the crowd. You know, you deal with the momentum swings that come from having a crowd when you're on the road and maybe the home team gets going. Uh, I, I think it is important, and it puts the Canadian teams at a disadvantage. You know, it's the one thing that, you know, might come out of it that it's, it's not a level playing field. As you know, last year, it was all the Canadian teams were playing together, so everybody was in the same boat. So uh, I do think, though, it's it's definitely a negative for them as it goes along if it doesn't change at all. I, I think it's an advantage for the other teams in the league that are allowed to play with fans. Hey, Craig, Ottawa could have got blown out 12 nothing, and we still there's so much to like about that team with uh, the the talent uh, that we think is going to still be maybe a couple of years away from from surfacing. But is there something to be said that a, a team that young in in a building as, as dead as that was, and you were in it, like how bad yeah. was it? How 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 horrible was it to to broadcast or either? Have an inexperienced team like Ottawa try to find any juice out of that thing? Yeah, it was just going back to kind of bad memories. You know, it, it took us all back, I think, and I'm sure it did the players as well, to going to last year or even in the bubble of the playoffs. So, you know, I think everybody wanted to have that in the rearview mirror and not have to experience that again. So I, I do think it played a part for Ottawa, though. You, you know, they – You look down the middle, I think you're right, Nick, that they're going to be okay. I think they've got some good NHL-caliber young players that are going to be, you know, good good first and second-line players. Uh, But you look at the center ice, you know, Stutzler playing up against Matthews, that's not really a a matchup that DJ Smith would love to have. And as the game went along, he ended up putting, you know, tyranny in that role and you get Norris back, who I think is a really solid player and can handle those matchups. Uh, a young guy like Pinto, you know, you start to shore up the center ice position and allows those other guys on the wings to develop a little bit better. So I do think Ottawa's got some promise. I think they're going to continue to get better as the year goes along. And I do think that was one of those games that just got away from them quickly and they got penalty trouble at the beginning of both periods. You get your bench out of it. You got to rely on the same couple of guys and 
give Toronto some credit. You know, they, they capitalized when they needed to, and they had good efforts from, from their, you know, bottom six guys as well, who were really the ones early on that, that pushed the pressure of that game. Yeah, and that bottom six is, uh, I mean, you don't want to say it's ever set in stone, but, you know, the Spezza and Simmons been so good. Angval's obviously deserved his spot in it, and uh, it's tough to get in, as Nick Ritchie can speak to right now. Where do you see this thing things going for Nick Ritchie the rest of this season? You know, goal and seven assists so far, $2.5 million this year and next. What's to become yeah. of Nick Ritchie with this year's Leafs team? Well, I'll, I'll put it this way. I think, you know, from all accounts, he's got a good attitude and the guys like him. So you're not battling that where you're an outsider right now and and nobody cares for you and nobody, you know, wants you to succeed. I I think it's the opposite. So as you know, Nick, that that's really important when you're on the outside looking in, you got to have some allies both in your players and in your coaches, but he's at that point. Now he's been given the opportunity up the lineup, didn't have much success, went back down uh, to the bottom six and then the fourth line and then got another opportunity up. And, you know, it's it's one of those things. I, I just don't think he's been able to get the pace of his game up to where the rest of this team is. You know, look at look at the impact of Mikheyev back in for two games. You know, if I'm Nick Ritchie, I'm going, I'm not going to be able to take that guy out of the lineup. You know, that speed and the mm-hmm. ability to push the game is going to keep him in. So you got to target and say, Simmons is a guy for me that, if I'm Nick, you go. You might get an opportunity where Simmons maybe sits tonight, and you know you got to come in and make an impact. And for me, it would be get the get the pace of your game up as high as you can, be in the best shape you're going to be. And I think guys, you know, he's going to be on the outside looking in until there's an injury or there's maybe an opportunity to give a, an older guy rest. And for Nick, that's when you. I know it's a difficult task, but you got to make an impact in that one game and that one chance that you get to to try to give yourself some traction and get back in the lineup. Craig, both of us have experienced on on Stanley Cup teams what depth really means for for two months straight in the playoffs. Yep. And I, I'm not even talking about you know your your fourth line. I'm talking about like even your your extras um, and yep. and what it really means. And it just doesn't appear. Right now, that uh, and I include the Toronto Maple Leafs, that you know you might not even have the luxury of truly having a ton of depth because you're fighting a salary cap. But what did it mean? What did it mean for the Leafs to see McKayev come back in and have that type of presence here? And in your mind, can this guy hold a top six in this lineup? Uh, you know what I think it, it was a huge presence, and you know that. <laughs> Again, the timing for him, he gets one game in and then you, you know, you get a bunch of cancellations and you worry that, okay, maybe I'm not going to get an opportunity to slide back in and make an impact. Uh, and that's, that's basically why Nick Ritchie was out that last game because for Sheldon Keith, you got to give this kid a chance to, to get his traction back. Uh, I, I think he's, he's the prime example that you make there, Nick, that he can be a really effective third line checker. He can be an effective, fourth line if if you're if you're playing him on your fourth line you've got some good depth on your team so he also has that ability to slide up and down the lineup so i I think he's a really valuable guy there's a reason why uh you know kyle dubas was saying to him i'm I'm not going to trade you i'm not going to send you away you're a big part of the puzzle and those are the kind of guys that as you mentioned nick you're going to need when 
when the playoffs go bad in a couple of games where your top guys aren't scoring or the, the line looks a little stale, he's a guy that you can inject because he can give you some speed. He can create some things with his legs. And, you know, in the tight checking of playoffs, you need players like that. So I, I do think he's going to be a really important player. I, I hope that, you know, him scoring on the chance that he had after having so many chances the last couple of years and not really being much of a finisher, if he somehow, even for this year, he, you know, finds that confidence around the net, now all of a sudden he's, a, he's an incredibly more valuable player because he's going to create those chances just with his speed alone. Yeah, for sure. He's a valuable part of it. Um, you know, another guy I kind of wonder about where his stock falls come end of the season here is Rasmus Sandin. Like, watching him on Saturday, I, you know, he's such a great skater, and the way he peels away from checks and pushes on the offensive side of things, like, really an obviously talented player. How do you see him fitting into this Leaf structure? Like, what's his role on this team come playoffs? Because sometimes he looks yeah. to me like a guy who could play bigger minutes, and, and other times, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly. Yeah, I, I think he's going to have to prove to the coaching staff every single night that he can have some consistency in his game. And, and the consistency isn't going to be, you know, making a good play here and there because I, I think he's always going to be able to do that well. It's the consistency of can you win all those battles along the boards or, or can you stop the cycle down low? Can you absorb a hit right. and turn the puck back the other way? To, to me, you know, I, I think the Leafs have handled him well. There's no question, guys that they have given him the opportunity and probably given him more games than maybe even they wanted to, or maybe he deserved early on because this is the year that they go, we got to see what we got in this guy. So to me, he's got, what are we? Uh, 51 games left. You know, it, it's a, it's an audition every night. And I think you'll see some nights like the last few where he'll get that 19 to 20, 21 minutes to see if he can handle it. And He's going to have to prove that he has that consistency physically uh, to be effective each and every night. And, and if he does do that, yeah, now, now you've got a great asset because he can play. If he can defend and he can handle the physical play, he can make plays offensively, and, and that's, a, you know, that's a good combination for them. I'll throw this out to both of you guys, but uh, I just I don't see anything that Sandine does that puts him in a legitimate top four at, at this point, I, I have to believe that they're going to have to go shopping here and find uh, a top four guy. I, I don't even know if there's enough time to get uh, Justin Hall and his game yeah. back into a, a legit top four situation. I'll, I'll start with you, Craig. Yeah, you know, I, I think Nick, the, it, it all depends what you, you know, when you, when you say top four, it can mean a lot of different things. I, I think what the Leafs need from that top four guy is defensive-wise. You know, often you think of a top two D, you think offense. You know, can you can you push the play? Are, are you a guy who joins the rush? You know, when Riley's playing his best, he, he's a top two guy on any team because he does those things well. He's not a liability in your own zone. Uh, and he does join the rush, and he does create offense. He creates pace in the game. So I do think if you're looking to add something, that that top four guy has to be a shutdown guy because I, I just think that, you know, the problems that are going to happen in playoff time, again, is you get a hard-checking team that comes in and 
cycles the puck really well, gets down low and creates good scoring chances. Uh, you're going to need another body, as as you said. Maybe Hall fine-tunes his game when he's playing well defensively. That's where he's effective. When he's not playing that well defensively, that's where you go, does he fall out of being the top four guy like that? So I, I do think that there is a need to to plug in a guy who's reliable, who can handle pressure, who can make plays when he's getting hit and when, when he's getting pressured. I don't necessarily think you need the, you know, 60-point guy who, to come in and, and boost the offense that way. I, I do think they're going to need to defend once they get to playoff time. Yeah, you know, do you think it's it's possible for the Leafs to have success rolling out their defense a little bit different than we've typically seen? Like, you know, to... to to talk about Nick's point a little bit, like typically your defensive defensemen have been your bottom pair guys. They go out there, they block shots, they kill penalties, they're your rough and tumble guys. But like right now, it feels like in defensive situations, the Leaf, Leafs put out their top four guys, right? It's Muzzin, it's Riley and Brody. Could they have success with their third pair being different historically from other teams with like Sandine and Dermot and Lilligren, guys that are kind of sheltered and play less and don't play big defensive minutes? Well, that's, I think, their mindset. If you look at the way they've uh, played the guys through the first 30 games, I think their mind is, you know, maybe you can get away with having Lilgren and Sandine as a partnership that can all of a sudden in different times when you're on home ice, you can play them with the Matthews line or Tavares line to, to try to push some offense and not be trapped where, you know, you're playing a defensive role and those guys might be exposed. So I, I, I think they're going to be, unless they make a deal uh, to bring in an experienced guy, I think they're, they're sort of destined to have that. It's going to be either, you know, that pairing or it's going to be Dermot and Sandine or, you know, some combination of that that ends up being your bottom pair. I, I'm, I'm not sure it's a recipe for success, but I, I do think... <laughs> I do think that the guys have done a pretty good job of, of handling the minutes and, and playing some pretty good hockey to this point. Boys, it's the playoffs, and I see Lilligren and Sandine as a pair. I got a bib on, and I'm looking at them like they're Christmas dinner. Absolutely, and I, I think, you know, even the Pittsburgh game that we did here, I I mentioned it, uh, you know, I had to re-watch the, the play to say, was Sheldon okay? You know, it was early on in the shift and Crosby's line was out there and he kept Sandine and Lilgren out and Sandine got walked and got beat to the outside and they scored. And, you know, you always say, oh man, that's a bad matchup. But you go, you got to put him in some of those situations throughout the regular season to see what you got. And, you know, part of that too, Nick, is is showing Kyle Dubas what you got because you know that he's looking and saying, well, you know, if those guys can suddenly play at a higher level and fit the role, maybe I don't have to do a deal. If you put them in those situations early in the season and they prove that they're not ready, then that's also part of the, you know, auditioning for the GM to say, Oh God, yeah, we got to bring in a, a guy so that one of those two guys is our sixth or, or our sixth guy. And the other is our seventh or eighth. And you do need that depth and you can survive for, periods of time, but you can't have him an everyday player. Austin Matthews tested positive on a rapid test earlier uh, today, and he awaits a PCR result ahead of Wednesday's game versus Edmonton. And Simmer, are you about to miss out on a Matthews and McDavid matchup on Wednesday? <laughs> well, I wonder, eh? Like, 
uh, you, you keep. I'm I'm back in Edmonton now, Nick, and I, I I got a later flight so that I can see what the testing goes. It seems like uh, you know it's every day that you're kind of waiting to see who's in, who's out, uh, who's going to be off the off the roster. So it's a it's an awkward time. It's a frustrating time. I think I mentioned it last uh, game for Matthews. They go like, look at his last few years. He's got 47 goals in 70 games. He's going, I'm going to have a 50 goal season. I'm going to win maybe my first, uh, you know, uh, rocket uh, uh, trophy. And man, the season's gone. So you end up with 47 instead of say 52 or 53. The next year you've got a condensed year. You have 41, you win, you know, now you're on a 10 game streak. You've scored 13 there and you, you lose two weeks of the season. And so it, it's been a year of adjustments. It's been two years of adjustments. And those are the things that uh, every player is having to deal with. But it seems like it's been a difficult one. And somehow he's been able to find that consistency to be a, a goal-scoring threat each and every year. Craig, the next team the uh, Leafs play is the Edmonton Oilers, as, as you guys mentioned there. Where are they at? Uh, you know, I know they've lost two overtime games in a row. They lost uh, the game prior to that. Started the season so well, seemed to be kind of hanging on right now. What, what's up yeah. in Edmonton right now? Yeah, it's kind of the same story as it has been. They, they rely too heavily on on two, three guys, and uh, – it, it hurts you. You know, that last game was a prime example. You got the three guys who were on the ice at the end of the game and Dreisaitl, McDavid, and, and Darnell Nurse in the overtime. And they played, you know, three out of the 352 in, in overtime. And their pace is slow. They don't crank up where they need to play. When they're playing fresh and fast and early in a the game, they're such a threat. They're such a dangerous team. They, they're in another scenario where, you know, it looked like they – might have a good third and maybe even a push from a fourth line. And the offense just, again, hasn't come from anyone other than the top two guys. And I don't care how talented you are and how great those two top players are. If you don't have any scoring depths at all, and you still have some holes defensively in those bottom guys, you just can't win on a consistent basis. And right now they're going through that stretch where those top guys are playing too much. They're not playing at the high pace that they need to, and that affects them offensively. And the rest of the team hasn't been able to, you know, put a finger in the in the dike and not uh, allow the leak to continue to come. And they're they're leaking oil right now for sure. And they need some sort of a bounce back. And we'll see what they're able to do tonight against the New York team that is playing pretty darn well as well. You can't find a more experienced man on the planet than, than Ken Holland uh, as a general manager in, in that uh, market. But you know that market as well as anybody. And what he may be feeling in the next little while will be unlike anything I think he's felt in Detroit. Uh, it's, just, yeah. it's just night and day here. So it, is it going to be interesting to watch this thing play out? Because there is a... I don't think, I don't think Simmer watching Bruce Boudreau take a team that was just on Terrible. the bottom yeah. of the pit and turn them into uh, like seven and zero run to start, and and now uh, getting themselves back in the playoff race. That's not helping Dave Tippett when you look at <laughs> Vancouver's uh, success since making a coaching change. Is it? No, not at all. And you know, listen, the. For Kenny Holland, uh, I'm, I'm sure the experience that he does have is 
you don't read the newspaper, you don't go online, you don't listen to radio, no offense, guys, but uh, you just can't be influenced on that because that is the pulse of the city and the fans and the frustration. And so, you know, that, that's got to be, listen, you're a human being, and both as a coach with Tippett and as a general manager at Holland, you know it's difficult to do that because you're living it every day. And, you know, I've, I've been there in the coaching part where, you know, there's two things you say. There's winning and there's misery. And it, it is darn true. It's hard to overcome the, the tough stretches. So I think he's going to have to show some patience and some faith. But, Nick, they're probably, you know, if it if it goes another three games, you lose in New York with a bad effort tonight and you lose on Wednesday with another bad effort in Toronto, then you know how it goes. You know, you're almost putting the gun to your head that it 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 it, it almost forces you to have to say, man, I got to do something, whether it's a trade or a sit or a call up or the coach. Uh, I think it would another couple of games would force them to to be in that mode. We'll keep our eye on that developing story. Uh, but no question, you are absolutely right. The the heat is on uh, in Edmonton. Hey, Craig, thanks for doing this, man. Appreciate it. Uh, the best of luck uh, traveling and uh, staying safe. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks, Craig. Craig Simpson. He is absolutely right. This is oh. huge. The Rangers and the Toronto Maple Leafs on Wednesday. What are we even talking about here, Kipper? I mean, the, the the what are they second, third in the division right now? Listen, this team was considered one of the top teams. Yeah. Beginning of November, what were they? Fifteen and five. They were. Yeah, they. They were like, it wasn't a matter of this team making the playoffs at the beginning of November, and I know it's still early, but that's a. It's a hell of a, a quarter of a season here. They were talking about, are they going to run away with the division? That was the conversation early November. Was mm-hmm. it, How big of a gap are they going to have? There are two wins in their last 10. Uh, 594 winning percentage uh, with uh, LA, Anaheim, a lot of teams right on their heels. Yeah, I, I didn't realize it was that dire. Um, man. That's an interesting uh, thought exercise is, is how desperate is Edmonton to turn this thing in the right direction? Lack of depth. How long have we had that conversation with the Edmonton Oilers? Lack of depth Ever. and relying on two or three guys, as Craig just mentioned. You know what a lot of it is for me is like, it doesn't feel like they develop anyone who can come in and just contribute, like not even be great, just be a part of it. Like you got Kyle Turris kicking around in the bottom six and, you know, it's it just doesn't feel like any of these guys are, you know, the the cheap homegrown type that if you're at least developing guys well, you should have a few more in your lineup. It feels like. I didn't oh. I, I didn't mind the Duncan Keith, but lot, like Nick Ritchie, he has the extra year, with no salary or, or, uh, taken back by the Chicago Blackhawks. Like that's an, a very expensive ticket right now. With Keith, Duncan Keith, yeah. yeah. And it is ton of pressure on their cap. Are they shopping for a goalie? Mike Smith back out. Is they, I think they called him day to day now after being off for so long. Just can't stay in the net. You know, that's part of aging too. It's not just, it's not just not playing as well. Sometimes it's just physically harder to keep your body held together as you get older. We'll keep an eye on that 
developing story. And uh, all right, that was uh, that was a quick forty out of the gate, wasn't it, okay, JB? Craig, Craig's awesome. Awesome. Okay, we'll continue with that awesomeness. Darren Pang, analyst for the NHL on TNT, just finished the Winter Classic. New Year's Day, he had a blast. Were you switching back and forth, or after know, our you, steam you, dropped out, I, I watched. I don't know more after, than I uh, care to admit. <laughs> after uh, the Leafs missed the uh, extra point, yeah, that was, did you switch uh, it over? No fans and up a handful of goals. I felt okay watching a bit of a Winter Classic. So you go to that, you know, an empty building, watching it on Hockey Night in Canada, and then switching over to the outdoor game, and you're like. Are we on the same planet? Same, same league. No, no, Just, forget about the country. Is yeah. this the same planet? Is this actually, like, you know, Earth? I know. How can it be? We're going to come up with Darren Pang. We'll get all of the good storylines out of the Winter Classic when we return on the Real Kipper and Born Show.